no one ever said that Lent should be easy. In fact, the Christian life is not easy. It's easier than living in the slavery of sin. Uh, my yoke is easy, my burden light, but it's still a yoke and it's still a burden. And the challenge of, of being a follower, a disciple of Jesus is sometimes very, very great. Today's gospel is one of the classic examples. Jesus brings up the common understanding that we are obliged to love our neighbor but hate our enemy. That's not, that's not from the scriptures, but that's how the Jews interpreted what was commanded. Love your neighbor. Well, sure, love your neighbor, but anyone who's not your neighbor, well, then you have to hate him. And Jesus says, no, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you which is a real, not a slap in the face exactly, but it's a, like a splash of cold water. Uh, it's, a, it's, a shocking, it's a shocking thing to keep considering. Love your enemies. Love, pray for those who persecute you. Do good for those who don't do good to you. It goes so against our natural inclination that it forces us to wonder, what is this all about? As I was reflecting on this, I remember when I was in the States last year, I gave a conference. I can't remember the topic of the conference, but someone who participated, two of the participants were from Ukraine. They had, they had fled Ukraine with their family after the war started last year. And so they were trying to start a new life in the United States. And this question came up, oh, love your enemies. What, you expect the Ukrainians to love Putin? Well, gosh, that doesn't make sense. I mean, and yet, this is what it means to be a Christian. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, that may, it forces us to ask the question, well, what, what does it mean to love Putin if he's you know, bombing your house and driving your family away from your country? What does it mean to love him? What does it mean to love soldiers who are aiming weapons at you? It doesn't mean liking what they do, obviously. It doesn't mean thinking that it's a good thing, obviously. But it does mean not choosing the path of being as evil as the one who's doing evil to you. It does mean not being like that. It does mean not choosing the path of retaliation out of anger. And, and this is a very challenging thing to do. In fact, this is part of the tragedy of war is that when there's a war, and this is what we see unfolding in Ukraine, when there's a war, the tendency is to get back at the one who attacked you. And so there's constant, uh, uh, a growing desire to destroy the enemy. What happens then? The war keeps going. And it will keep going and going until people are just so worn out or there's so many people are dead or there's no more money and then it just stops because you can't do it anymore but that's not god's plan for us god reveals this radical different way love your enemies pray for those who persecute you you still can defend yourself you can still resist evil in fact we're obliged to resist evil and to reject it but not to become evil in order to fight evil. No. Jesus, knowing that we're not going to get this, gives us the rationale behind it. Why should you love your enemies? 
Because God loves them. And you are children of God. God makes his sun rise on the bad and the good. He makes his rain fall on the just and the unjust. God loves even those who do not love him. And we are children of God. He calls us to be like him, to take his attitude toward his people, even the ones who are obviously undeserving. Of course, we're undeserving too. We shouldn't forget that. Now, this idea that God makes his sun shine on the bad and the good and the rain on the just and the unjust can give us the idea that everybody gets exactly the same treatment all the time. And that's not true either. Even though God loves all of his people all the time and wants all people to be saved and wants all people to enter into an eternal and glorious communion with him, he doesn't treat all people the same all the time. And that should be obvious enough to us. Some people have more sunshine than others. Some parts of the world have more rain than others. Does God love people in rainforests more than he loves people in deserts? No. But they have a lot more rain. You can just think a little bit of geography or astronomy. There are some parts of the world that get sunshine almost all the time. If you live on the equator, you live on a, you know, actually we get a lot of sunshine here. But if you live far from the equator, there are some times of the year when there's almost no sunshine at all. And then there's other times of the year when the sun is shining from early morning until late at night. It's not the same. And the more you think about it, the more you realize, even though God loves all people all the time, he loves each individual person in a unique way. There's more rain in Paranaque than there is in Las Piñas. Does God love Las Piñas more than Paranaque? <laughs> you see, it's, it's crazy to think that everyone gets exactly the same treatment. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in today's first reading, Moses speaks to the chosen people and makes it clear that they are specially chosen. And this is one of the mysteries of the Bible, that God loves the Jews. He chose them first. The chosen people, the special election. God chose the Jews. And, and this is certainly part of the revelation. It's central, in fact, to the story of how God relates to his people. He chose the Jews. He chose Abraham and his descendants. And this is what Moses is re-emphasizing to the people. You are a people peculiarly his own. You belong to God in a peculiar way, in a special way. He's chosen you in a special way. He, he above all the other nations, this is what he says, above all other nations, you will be a people sacred to the Lord your God as he promised. So it's not that everyone gets treated the same all the time. Now, just to pause a little bit on what Moses reveals here, this is a, a, a reaffirmation of the covenant, right? The chosen people are God's people and God is their God. Sometimes likened to a marriage. 
but and it certainly is. It's 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 it's, it's like a marriage agreement. But it's not a marriage between two equals. God sets before the people his statutes, his commandments, his decrees, and they're expected to submit to his will. The people do not make commandments and statutes and decrees for God <laughs> and, they, and, and make him submit to their will. You see, it's not equal. They, the people, are specially chosen and privileged with revelation of the will of God and with the commandments. And their response is to accept and obey the commandments out of gratitude, out of love. And, and God, for his part, raises up his chosen people in high in praise and renown and glory above all other nations as a, as a, as a holy people. Now, uh, reflecting on this business of God's choosing people and, and uh, favoring people, some theologians have concluded that God chooses some people to be saved and not other people. If you know the Calvinist tradition, the Presbyterian tradition of predestination, those who are saved are saved because God chose them, and those who are not saved are not saved because God didn't choose them. That is not, that's not certainly what Catholics believe, and it's not really what the Bible teaches. But it's understandable that people come up with this error because it's clear that God chooses some people. He chooses the Jews first, but he also chooses individual people and gives them special favors. It doesn't mean that he loves them more. It means that in the unfolding of his plan, he has a different role for different people. Now, a way to think about this, and we have to wrestle with this, because how do we love our enemies, and how do we accept that God doesn't treat everybody the same? A way to think about this is to think about family life, especially big families. The parents realize very quickly that the children are all different and that they need different treatment. A, a child who's gifted in, in the arts, well, you, you help him or her develop his talent. Send him to a special school if you have the means. A child who has limitations, maybe a special child, needs special care, special treatment. You don't treat them the same. Does it mean that you don't love them the same? No. You love them all. Parents love all their children, but they treat them all uniquely. Why? Because that's the best thing for them, and it's also the best thing for the, for the family as a whole. If you, if you treat all the children exactly the same, meaning in the, in the superficial sense of everyone gets exactly the same opportunity, everyone gets exactly the same you know, treatment, no matter whether they're whether they can benefit from it or not, well, then you end up being unfair to the children. And this is, this is what God has figured out in, in, in an infinite degree. The best thing for each individual person is also the best thing for the whole field human family. To, to bring about the flourishing of just one person by calling him or giving him a particular gift or a particular mission is good for everybody if he responds. To expect someone who doesn't have the capacity to do something that he just can't do, well, that would be unfair not only to him, but unfair to everybody who would depend on him. So here's God revealing his love for all. And this is what Jesus says. He, he shines sun on, his sun shine on the good and the bad, 
rain on the just and the unjust, but he also figures out a way to raise up each person, to treat, to, to express his love for each person in a unique way, and in that way, help that person or give that person an opportunity to participate in his great plan for the whole human family. Why, why is this important for us to reflect on? Because we're part of this and our response either makes this work better or not. We either participate or we don't. And if we love our enemies, we actually become part of the unfolding of this great plan. And if we refuse to love even one person, we block the fulfillment of God's plan in some way, at least in ourselves, if not for others. We block that great plan. It doesn't mean we understand the plan. It doesn't mean we understand how our love for our enemy can be good. But we can trust that it is because we're children of a good God. And this is what he tells us to do. As I said, it's challenging. It's not an easy thing. It's a, it's a, a, a direction that we don't naturally take. But as, as children of God, as those who are specially favored by God with the gift of faith, those who are chosen by God, the best thing to do is respond with a yes, just like Moses says to the people. You're the chosen people of God, so follow his statutes, his commandments, his decrees, hearken to his voice. Well, if, if the Jews had to hearken to the voice of God in the desert, how much more should we hearken to Jesus' voice when he speaks to us in the Sermon on the Mount? Or when he speaks to us from the cross? Or when he speaks to us in the liturgy? Yes, we say yes to God with awareness of the difficulty, with awareness of the lack of full understanding, but with confidence that God's plan is good. It's good to love your enemies. It's good to pray for your persecutors. It's the right thing to do, so do it.